Hey, Grace Covenant, how are you today? Good, you look like you're doing good. I'm so, so glad that you joined us for our Marvel series today. I am thrilled about the opportunity to share the word, and as always, we're going to dig right in. Amen? Amen. Hey, want to do a couple things. It's so fun when you use technical devices and technology on stage, because I was literally just taking a picture of you, and I didn't realize it, so it's all good. I hope you were smiling. If not, well, <laughs> I promise I won't share it with anybody else. God is so, so good, and I'm really thrilled about the word today. As you guys know, last week we kicked off the Marvel series, and oh my goodness, what a word, amen? What a word. Man, Pastor Brandon did a phenomenal job sharing the word, and I really believe that people were set free, people were delivered, and that people literally encountered God. Now, before I dive all the way in today, I want to share this. Pastor Zach is actually not with us today. He has his five-month-old niece is being dedicated in Concord, so he is actually there enjoying the beauty of this moment. So although he's not here today, he is anticipating being back with us next week. Aren't you glad that God blessed us with an amazing pastor like Pastor Zach and all the pastors here? Yes. God is so good. Well, hey, I want to ask you a simple question. And when I say simple questions, I really mean it. I'm asking simple questions today because I'm that kind of guy. I like when you get to a test and you've prepared for it and you open up the the test and you realize, oh, these are a little easier than I expected. (laughs) Something about that is exciting to me. I get get excited. I kind of smile now. I can actually go through the test with ease. Well, I'm going to ask some easy questions today. The first question is this, and I want you to be very honest. Has anyone here ever said this prayer? God. If you would just save me from this, uh (laughs) uh-oh. We sometimes finish that with, I'll serve you for the rest of my days, right? Or I'll serve you all of my life. Or if you can just save me from this, let's say it this way. If you can save me from this speeding ticket. We don't know anything about that, right? Lord God, if you could just, uh uh-oh, here's a big one. If you can just get me home safely tonight. This side is more sanctified than this side, right? (laughs) Listen, just by the way, just in case anyone's wondering, we don't recommend people go on nights out where they have to pray those kind of prayers afterwards, okay? Just in case you're wondering. But listen, I think that all of us as humans have been in a place where we are often finding ourselves saying, Lord, if you could just, if you would just save me, if you would just deliver me, if you would just protect me, if you would just free me from X, Y, or Z, or all the above, and I promise from this day on, I'm going to serve you with everything I have. But I want to encourage you today, we don't have to be those type of people who live that way. But I'm convinced that the reason people call on God in those kind of moments is because they recognize that he has the power to save, the power to deliver, the power to protect. Amen? Amen. Lord, if you just help me pass this test, if you just help me get out of this one thing, if you just do this, I believe you can. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Psalms. Psalm 37, 39 says this. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. (laughs) We've been in this series called Marvel, and I want to give you a simple definition of the word. The word Marvel is something or someone that causes wonder, admiration, or astonishment. Let me read that again. Something or someone that causes wonder, admiration, or astonishment. We might say, God is a marvel. Long before you face a problem in your life, and all of us have faced one, two, or 200 of them, the truth of the matter is that long before these things, God already had a plan. 
I love what Pastor Stan said. These are things that he already established before the foundation of the world. So long before rain flooded the earth, God planned for Noah to be in a boat. Long before Jonah was thrown overboard, God planned to send a fish to rescue him. Before the Israelites were cornered by the Egyptian army, God planned to part the Red Sea. Let's bring it home for a moment. Before you lost that job, that job that you thought was your dream job, God already had a plan. Before your boyfriend or your girlfriend broke your heart, God already had a plan. Listen, God is the God who has the power to miraculously save. I like the song by Hillsong that says, God is mighty to save. Amen? I want to ask you to do what we do here at Grace Covenant. I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to open the Bible today. And we're going to jump deeply into the word. I love this. Up top, someone jumped up so quick. Amen to you. That was so awesome. She was ready. We're going to read another book of Acts, chapter number 16. And listen, I'm going to do it a little different today. I'm going to read to you. And then the last two verses, I'm going to ask us to read together. You think we can get 100% on this test? Excellent. I'm going to read to you beginning in Acts, chapter 16, verse number 16. Listen as I read. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became annoyed so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us, Romans, to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. The last two verses, verses 23, let's read together. 23 and 24, let's read together. Ready? Read. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Before you're seated, I want you to look at your neighbor. Look him square in the eye and say, I hope you're ready. You can have a seat. Oh, my goodness. You guys caught some of this. Some of you, as we started reading, you recognize the context. But let me give you a little bit more. This is one of Paul's journeys that he was on. This time he's with Silas, a brother in the faith. And Paul and Silas are journeying together. And they get to this place in Philippi where they begin to go to the place where worship was common or prayer was common, we could say. Now, in this specific area, they didn't have a synagogue. So they couldn't go to the quote-unquote church to worship. So they would actually go to a beautiful place by the river, and they would pray there. Well, as they're going, there's this demonically oppressed or, excuse me, possessed woman who is literally following them. And she's saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. They're here to tell you how to get saved. Now, I remember years ago when I first read this, I thought, what's the big deal? I mean, she's telling the truth. 
But how many of you know, in the world we say that all press is good press, but in this case, I don't want the devil or his <laughs> demonic figures telling people my mission. I don't want them being the ones praising me. There, there's something about the idea of maybe even being joined together with them as if this is some kind of partnership between the people of God and this, this demon who's in this lady. So she's crying out, yelling, saying, hey, these guys are the people, the servants of God. They're going to tell you how to get saved. And I guess it goes on for some time because eventually Paul gets to the point where he's annoyed by it. Aren't you glad that it said that he got annoyed? <laughs> Make me feel a little bit better. That's enough devotion for me. Like, whew, okay. If Paul got annoyed, then I guess I'm in good company, right? He got annoyed by this woman so much so that he turns around, looks at her, but notice what the Bible says. He doesn't tell to the girl. He talks to the spirit. Oh, man. I told you to ask if you were ready. You see, because in Ephesians chapter number 6, Paul's the one who tells us later, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. And when we wrestle against powers, it's, it's against principalities, it's against the rulers of darkness in the heavenly places. Listen, he speaks directly to the spirit that has possessed this woman, and he commands the spirit to come out. And at that moment, this girl is set free. Can somebody say amen to freedom? Amen. This young lady is set free. But from there, it gets worse. Once they cast this demon out, this woman, some people call them handlers, her owners, those who she worked for, they're upset because she would use her abilities, these demonic abilities, to be a fortune teller. So people would come and bring their money, and this demon would speak fortunes to them. We have some of those today. I won't go too deep there because it got really quiet in this place. <laughs> Truthfully, they speak, he speaks to this demon, casts the demon out. These people get upset because they lost their income source. Now she's no longer possessed. Now she can't be a fortune teller. Now they can't make any money. So they immediately get mad at Paul and Silas. They arrest them. They take them to the magistrate. That's the authority of the day in that, in that area. And they say, this, these men are causing an uproar in our city. They're Jews and they're here and they're, they're teaching things that we as Romans should not agree to nor follow. Well, you guys know the story. What happens next is the Paul and, and Silas are then taken and they're stripped of their clothes with violence and, and they're whipped and beat with rods and they're taken and thrown into the prison, but not just the prison, the inner prison. And here's where I want to pick up in the Bible here in the, in the book of, excuse me, I almost said Matthew, the book of Acts chapter number 16. Look at verse 25 and it says, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Whew. I was born in Southern California, and I lived there until I was 18, where I went off to the Air Force and served some years there. After I got out of the Air Force, I went back to Southern California because that's what I knew as home. Now, if you know anything about California, you know that there are these things called earthquakes. Now, I wasn't growing up, I wasn't afraid of tornadoes or hurricanes because that wasn't anything that came on our radar. We didn't have those kind of issues in California. But I was dreadfully afraid of earthquakes. You know why? Because as a little boy, I felt like earthquakes only came in the middle of the night when I was asleep. So I'd be asleep. I remember this one earthquake. It was in like 1989. This is way back. Some of the younger people, we got our youth in here today. How awesome is that? Some of the younger people are like, 89? He is an ancient man. 
And some of our older folks are saying, what a baby, right? <laughs> we get it. We get it. But I remember it was around 1989. This earthquake took place at around 4 a.m. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not a good time for anything to happen. <laughs> 4 a.m. So we're asleep in the house. My cousin was visiting for the summer. And all of a sudden, I wake up because I, for no reason, I just woke up like a split second before everything started shaking. And I woke up and I can hear this rumbling. And I'm like, what is going on? And then it hit. Bam, everything begins to shake. The bed is shaking. The walls are shaking. And I'm like, what do I do? I'm laying in the bed. My brother's in the bunk bed above me. My cousin's in the spare room. My mother and father in the other room. Everything's shaking. Nobody's moving. And then all of a sudden, simultaneously, kind of like synchronized swimmers, we all just jump out of the bed and start running and we converge in the hallway. Now, my stepfather's in front and my mom's right behind him. And then the, the kids are kind of trailing behind. And everyone's running as fast as they can, they can. And we run and I can see the hallway walls doing this. And I am like, this is a dream. This is a nightmare. This is something crazy. And we're going down this hallway and my stepdad turns left and he opens the front door and he bolts out the front door. And we all just follow him and we get outside and we're standing in the courtyard where we lived and we're standing there and uh, we're all kind of like, whoa, looking around and breathing hard. And my mom goes, why are we outside? And my stepdad said, I don't know. I'm half asleep. <laughs> So we followed him outside in our, our nightgowns or night gear, I should say, or, or pajamas, you may call them. And I, just from that moment on, I've been terrified of earthquakes. Like, why would this happen? But notice in this story, these men are literally in the midst of a prison. They are completely, can you imagine with me for a moment? They're completely in pain because they've just been whipped and beat with rods. You can imagine their lacerations, there's bleeding, there's all type of things going on. Now they're put into this prison, they're put in the stocks where they're, they're literally put there for torture. Their, their feet are spread apart at a, an ungodly distance so that they can be stuck in pain and suffering while their body is still exposed and sore and tender from this very, very recent beating they got. And the best thing they decided to do in the midst of all that was to sing out to God to pray out to God. Listen, if you're taking notes, which our youth know that note takers are history makers, so I hope that you are taking notes. But if you're taking notes today, point number one is this. Paul and Silas worshiped before, not just after their miracle. Some of you would say this is the worst time for them to begin to worship. They're in the middle of some of the most horrendous type of pain and suffering that a human can feel. And what are they doing now? They're crying out to God in prayer. They're singing worship songs to him. Can you imagine if you're the other prisoners? What is wrong with these guys? Who are these people? They're in here singing songs. Don't you know that we are in prison? And by the looks of it, these guys aren't doing too good. Why are they singing? Why are they praying? Why are they even here if, they, if their God was so good? Look at where they are now. But that didn't stop Paul and Silas. They're praying to God. They're singing out to God. And all of a sudden, or suddenly, this earthquake happens. And this earthquake must have been a strong one because this earthquake happens. And not only do the, does the foundation of the prison shake, but their chains break loose. Not just their chains, but the chains of all the prisoners. Not just the prisoners' chains, the doors of the prison open wide. Now, let's be honest, if that was most of us in here, as soon as that would happen, we'd have beelined it for the door. <laughs> well, it must be the Lord. He's the one who did this. We must need to go free. But Paul and Silas don't run. This is what I think is so miracle, uh, such a miracle. What a, a phenomenal testimony for them to, to literally stay put. In fact, the jailer, the one who was put in charge of keeping watch over them, 
When he wakes up from this earthquake, he sees that the doors are open. He draws his sword. He's about to take his own life. Because in this context, if you are put in this type of situation where you are given charge of prisoners and they escape, you will then be examined and eventually sentenced to death. So he knew if the doors are open, they must be gone. He draws his sword. He's about to take his life. And Paul yells out, hey, hold on, hold on. It's <laughs> my paraphrase. Hold on. We're, we're all still here. Put your sword away. You know what happens next? This prisoner calls for light. Hey, bring me some light. The, the other guys bring him light. He runs into the prison. He falls down on his knees in front of Paul and Silas. You know what he asked them? He asked them a simple question. How can I be saved? Man. This impacted this man in such a way that the first thing that came to his mind is, whatever you got, I want that. How can I get some of that? I pray over you that that's the way we'll be in our jobs, in our companies. I pray that that's the way we'll be when we go to the grocery store, to the bank, when we have interactions with people while we're out on our morning jog, when we're at the gym. I pray that people will approach us and say, whatever you have, whatever gives you that kind of joy, whatever gives you that kind of peace, that's what I want. What do I have to do to be saved? I think this is a powerful story because what we see next is point number two. I want to point out to you, if you're taking notes, write this down. Paul and Silas gave God, not themselves, the glory. Isn't it interesting? He could have fell on his knees and said, what do, what do I have to do to be saved? And they could have said, oh, let me tell you. Well, first you got to be as cool as me and good looking as me. And then once you get to that point, then you got to be as in shape as I am. And then if you get there, then you have to worship the way I worship at the perfect pitch. You can never miss. And then you have to pray as many hours as I pray. And then you may be getting close. No, they actually pointed to God instead of themselves. In fact, they tell him, they reply in verse 31 and they say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others inside of his house. <laughs> How many of you, by a show of hands, have children? Good, good. The vast majority. How many of you are a sibling at all? Good, good. And then all of us, we don't have to raise hands, we all have family of some sort, right? I think this is a, a beautiful story. This man is being convicted inside somehow through all of this. I'm assuming that since Paul and Silas are in prison, this man knows why they're in prison. He, he's heard the stories about them casting out the demon and what the demon was saying. And he, he's heard about this way that they preach, this, this Jesus of Nazareth. He's heard about all this, but he probably didn't think much of it because, I mean, these guys are in prison. It doesn't seem like they're winning. But as he's in the prison with them, he's, he's keeping watch. And all of a sudden, these guys are singing in the middle of the night and they're praying out loud. And he's probably taking note in his mind thinking, these guys are nuts. But then this earthquake happens and everything is broken wide open. And these men don't run. They stay there. And that does something in the heart of this man. Because any other criminal, anybody who was guilty, would have took advantage of this opportunity. Oh, the doors are open, it's time to go. But they stayed there. Not only do they stay, he approaches them and they begin to minister to him. Oh, man. 
we have a hard time ministering to someone who has a different religious belief as us or a different political belief as us or a different color car than us or a different hairstyle than us. And they're preaching and ministering to this man who has literally placed them in prison and put them in stocks so that they can feel pain, torment, and suffering. I don't know about you, but this blows my mind every time I read these type of things. This man all of a sudden is saying, whatever they have, I need and I want. What do I have to do to be saved? And this is why I asked you to raise your hand a moment ago if you had family of any sort. Not only is the invitation given to this man, but also to his entire household. Did you know that day a whole entire family tree was radically changed? I don't know who in here is dealing with this, but some of you may be dealing with family members who have not yet surrendered their lives to Jesus. And maybe you've been praying for years that they would come to know him. Some of our youth in here may be dealing with parents who do not know Jesus. And you've been praying for a long time that mom or that dad would give their life or uncle or that aunt or sister or that brother, whoever it may be, would give their life to Jesus. I want to encourage you by the scripture. Jesus tells us, excuse me, Peter tells us in the book of 2 Peter that it's God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's his desire. And we see it play out here and in other portions of Scripture where entire households hear the gospel and give their life to Jesus. I don't know about you, but if you're contending for somebody, I would grab a hold of that and say, Lord, I pray and declare like Joshua of the Old Testament declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray and declare that just like I gave my life to the Lord, my children are going to serve the Lord. I pray and declare that just, come on, wives, as I serve the Lord, my husband's going to serve the Lord. Come on, husbands, just as I serve the Lord, that my wife is going to serve the Lord. Listen, you got to begin to take what God's word says and say, I'm declaring that over my life. Just as he did it with them, he'll do it with us. He's faithful. He's faithful and he's true. So we find ourselves in a place in this text where this man and his entire family give their lives to Jesus. I guarantee that that night, the Bible actually says that when Paul and Silas leave this man, that he is filled with joy because him and his family gave their life to the Lord. I guarantee that that man thought, God is a marvel. Point number three, if you're taking notes, our final point. Paul and Silas were emboldened, not intimidated by suffering. Oh, man. I remember some time ago, I was driving for a company I used to work for. This is when I lived in California. And uh, I was a field service tech. I would go to these various locations and repair things. And I remember I was driving, and you guys have heard me talk about the card I would keep in my pocket, and I'd pull out scripture and things. But I remember this specific time I'm driving, and I've been asking the Lord, Lord, use me. I want to be all in for you. Use me, God. So I'm driving, and I stop at a stoplight. And I got my Christian music playing, and I'm just having a joyful day all as well. And I glance over about 45 degrees, and on the corner is this gentleman, and he's holding a sign. Have you ever seen those sign twirlers? He's twirling this sign. He's doing a good job. He caught my attention, right? So I'm like, huh, that's pretty neat. And I kid you not, like deep inside, I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to go pull over, and I want you to invite that young man to church. <laughs> and I kid you not, all the prayers of God use me, and I want to be used by you. In my mind, immediately I started making excuses. 
Oh, well, a customer's waiting for me. I got to get to the side. And Lord, I, I mean, he's on that side. I'm on this side. I'm going to have to go past him, do a U-turn, come back around, pull in. I'm going to have to park. I mean, that's going to take so much time. All these things. And I kid you not, this is all I heard inside in my spirit. I thought you wanted me to use you. The light turns green. I go up. I do a U-turn. <laughs> I come back. I turn. I go into the gas station. I park. And everything inside of me now is nervous. Right? Because I'm thinking, I can do this all day. But now we're one-on-one. So all of a sudden, I'm super nervous. I'm like, oh, here we go. And I, I got these little cards from our church, these little invitations. And I'm walking up to this guy. And when I get up to him, he turns around and he looks at me like, what do you want, bro? <laughs> Remember, this is California. It's a little different out there, right? And I, I walk up. He's giving me this look like, what, what's, what's going on? And I said, hey, man, uh, listen, I don't mean to bother you, but... I really felt like I was supposed to stop and just invite you to my church. It's only a couple blocks from here, actually. And I just told him, I said, man, God changed my life. And I believe he'll do the same for you. And this young man took the card and his head just dropped. And he looked at me and he said, thank you. Thank you so much. I said, of course, man. I said, hey, when I get in my van, I'm going to be praying. Can I pray for you? He was like, yeah, okay. So I got in my van and I, and I drove off. And as I was driving off, I turned and I looked at him. He's still looking at the card. And his sign is standing vertically now. And the sign was to an adult establishment. He's out there advertising. Come on in here. And God already had a plan to meet that young man right where he was. You see, what I love about this story about Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, Paul and Silas, is that through all of this pain and suffering and being imprisoned, you know what they did? They didn't run off as fast as they could once they got free. In fact, the people who put them in prison sent word, hey, send those guys home. They they can go free. And Paul says, no, hold on, hold on. You guys beat us publicly and embarrassed us publicly. You come yourself and tell us we can go free. These guys found out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They got nervous, like, oh, no, we didn't put them through a trial, and we, 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 we beat them like this. We could get in trouble. So they come to appease them and say, okay, 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 you guys can go free. And you know where Paul and Silas go next? This, this is, oh, my goodness. You know where they go next? They didn't go home. They didn't run back to where they came as fast as they could. They went back to where all the brothers and sisters they had already been praying with before they got in prisons were. And the Bible says they encouraged them, and then they left. Have you ever gotten encouragement from someone who you feel like you need to encourage? Doesn't it do something inside of you? Can you imagine with me, Paul and Silas, they're swollen and they're red and they're, they're hurting and they're kind of limping because they just got whipped with rods. They've just been in prison. This earthquake took place. And they're coming to me who's set free and completely good to go. And they're telling me the goodness of God and encouraging me not to give up and encouraging me not to lose faith. They're encouraging me not to lose hope. Listen, I don't know about you, but that's the type of emboldenment or, excuse me, boldness that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. I pray that we be those type of people, that no matter what we go through, we like Paul and like Silas will call on God, the one who protects and keeps, the one who delivers, the one who is mighty to save. We call on him. Some of us even right now in our lives, on the outside, things look good. But on the inside, there's hell breaking loose. I pray that we would be the kind of people that even if we're locked in a prison, we'd be willing to lift up our hands and say, God, 
I trust you even in the midst of this. I trust that when it's hard, you're with me. I trust that when it's difficult, you're with me. I trust that when I trip and fall, you're with me. I trust that when the unexpected happens in my life, you're with me. I trust you no matter what because you're faithful and you promised never to leave me and never to forsake me. I trust God. 